Hello, and welcome to The Spectator Books podcast. I'm Sam Leith, literary editor of The Spectator, and my guest this week is Charlotte Rampling, who's extremely well-known as an actor, but here she's written a memoir of a very unusual and rather poignant kind. It's called Who I Am, and welcome, Charlotte. Now, I start by asking you, this is very unlike your average celebrity or actor's memoir. Indeed, why, why did you want to do it in the way that you have, in this kind of quite elliptical way? Perhaps I wanted to do it in a different way, or find another way to, to talk about oneself in a way that was more, if I, can, if I can say it, literary. I wanted to find a literary way, I wanted to find a poetic way, I wanted to find an understanding through words that could just evoke rather than tell stories of, but could just give an idea of what... I wasn't sure what I was going to write, but I, it ended up being my childhood because it seemed to be the most fragile and the most definitive moment of your existence that actually makes you who you are. Yeah. And you've done it with a collaborator, Christophe Bataille, and there's a sort of very curious, almost a little dance around the first half of the book. How did that come about? Did he approach you initially? Yes, he approached me because I'd somebody had wanted to do a memoir biography, uh, which I didn't like, and so stopped stopped it happening. And I realised then, when I stopped this happening, that I actually didn't want to tell my story. I didn't want to tell my story of of who I am in the film business, of what I've done in the film business. I would rather my films tell that. I don't want to tell it as an individual. But I love writing. I love literature, and wanted perhaps to find a way to do it in another way. And Christoph sense this because I met him very briefly before he actually suggested to do this and he said well, why don't I why don't why don't we learn why because he's a writer editor and writer why don't um, we just meet up from time to time and I'll encourage you and keep you going and keep the fuel the home fires burning and maybe something will come out maybe you'll you will you know you will learn to write as you want to maybe we won't make a book maybe we will make a book there'll be no contract nothing will be signed let's just have a, a writing friendship and see where it goes and there are these sort of italic sections, which seem to be... Were these sections that you'd written as sort of notes and journals? I mean, you talk about how you've been doing that for a long time. Yes, because I, I made a decision to learn how to write in 1992. It was for different reasons, which I won't go into. And my husband at the time gave me um, a brother, uh, which is a, a typewriter, but it also has a little computer thing... And you can write a few lines, change them, and, and do all sorts of things that I could never do just on an ordinary typewriter, because um, computers I wasn't happy with at that time. And so I, I started, started to really try to understand how to express myself through words, not just to write diaries and say, you know, boring things like what I've been doing, this, that, but that everything that I would write would have... Would, would actually make almost like a song to me or like a little poem or like a little, a little reminiscence that actually would, 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 would resonate for me. And I would say, yes, that, that moment is exactly what I was actually feeling at that moment. And, and that, that's what it was like. Now, your mother also wrote, didn't she? I mean, there's one of the most extraordinary parts of the book, I think, is this discovery of these purple-inked purple notebooks that your mother kept from the age, was it 12 or something? Yeah, was... yeah, yeah, just, yeah, absolutely, yes. Terribly young. So she was obviously somebody who was, a few, like, introspective and, you know, made a record of her inner life. And your father very much the opposite. I mean, you describe him as being completely sort of almost silent. At well, perhaps time. he couldn't. She perhaps could more, perhaps he couldn't, because a lot of people who are incredibly, actually incredibly, you know, deeply 
connected to life can't actually express it and so they just and they suffer with that they suffer for that lack of being able to either show their emotions or 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 even to write down their emotions and i think that's my, very much my father whereas my mother could she actually because it was very sweet her writing was all very sort of girly and oh, having little flutters for all the boys and and what she's going to wear and and the, and the sort of and the, and the playing you know and playing with her girlfriends and it was all very very romantico yeah, I mean, you describe her as being like a character out of The Great Gatsby. Yes, you know? I mean, she she was. She was absolutely purely out, pure out there. Yeah, um, it's though, gorgeous. Though you do you describe The Great Gatsby as this kind of carefree world. I always think of that as a terribly sad book, actually. Well, it actually is, and it's one of the, it's one of the books that really affected me when I was reading early on in, in in about sort of 20. I think I read it. It is, yeah. But on the other side, there's the, there's the kind of the, the glamour of it. So yeah. I, I was actually sort of, yeah, took her out of the sadness and put her into the glamour. But then glamour always has a terribly sad side to it. But, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> actually, speaking of your own reading, I'm sure you've got Thomas Mann and Charlotte Bronte bound editions in your house. Are they are they great favourites? Are they bound editions? They, what I what I this, there's a where I live in in Paris. There's some very good old bookshops that sell old books, not and but just old used copies. And I furrowed through there, and I found those two, which I think must have impressed Christophe Bataille. Yes, no, I was, I was, that was him picking <laughs> yes. that out. Now, I mean, one of the things that's really intriguing about the book, I think, is that it's it's a sort of dance of concealment and revelation. I mean, it's not as you go through it, you're almost saying, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to tell this story. I don't, you know, I don't want the me that's that's on the screen who's sort of looked at. I mean, and I'm trying to find a sort of an articulate way of expressing this, and I maybe can't, but I'm wondering how much this sort of relates to what you've done as a career, that this, you know, in a sense, the person who's in here is not the person we see on screen, but performing is a sort of way of being seen and not being seen at the same time. I mean, do you, do you feel you were, were sort of hiding in plain sight? As I think all, all the time, and I think most artists are hiding because we're actually sort of, we're, there's a whole workshop going on inside, which is our interior life, which we're going to use for either acting or painting or writing, whatever we're going to be doing. And it's, it's, only, it's only, we're the only person that's relating to that, but then we have to go out and then we have to relate, like most people do, and sort of be other people and what they're doing. And I think this, this coming and going for me was always very terribly painful and terribly difficult for some reason whatever and with Christoph he that's why I mean we, we spent a long time over, not over this book but being together in our in our writing friendship to trying trying things out because I would go into something and then come then it was almost as if I was drowning and I'd come and I'd say no no I can't take it and would run away and disappear and do other things and then would sort of creep back in and say mm, knock on the door hi I'm back you know what about can we carry on so it's it's a lot of my life has been that, and this is certainly with the book. This what was interesting for him seeing it that way. It was he was able to illustrate it through this book, which I like very much because it's very much is the rhythm that within which I have lived. Actually, that sort of rhythm, that coming and the going and the running away and then coming back, creeping back in, start wanting to start and wanting to you know develop again what you'd started. It's also a book mm. that's got you know circles towards secrets. I mean, one thing that's very startling and that I don't. I don't feel there's an explanation quite in the book for why this happened, but it's obviously very something that you know touched you deeply. Was that your father threw away your mother's diaries, you know, her notebooks, her her childhood, as you put, and he just sort of stuck them on a tip. Why do you think that happened? Why did he do that? 
Well, it's, it's like things that we will never know because the person will never tell. So you have to make up your, your mind as to how, how you want to interpret that particular jest. And to me, I don't really know, really. It's like he, he just could not cope with the situation that he was living in, which was leaving his home and taking his wife, who at that time was very, very handicapped, to a home where he knew she was going to die quite soon. And it just was too much. So he sort of, like, wanted just to get rid of everything. That was his way of doing it. He just... And did you blame him for that? No, I don't, because I'm, I'm not a blamer. I'm really not a blamer. I can't blame people, because they do it for their own reasons. But they came back to you. And they came the back to me, yes. Way. Um, how can you t- expand on that story a little bit? I mean, it sounds like it was just a knock on the door. And it's but it was a knock on the door, and this little man, and the way that actually Christophe describes it, in his little little trilby hat, and he sort of that he just appeared, this little... This guy who had obviously been sneaking around places that when, you know, when, when, when people leave, leave their homes, people come in and sniff around to see what's going to be left and maybe those few things in um, dustbins that they leave. And it was rather the same with him. But he'd taken them away, and this is quite a few months later, looked into them, found out that there was stuff of me and of my mother and it was connected to me. So obviously found my address and turned up on the door with the bag, but only one bag, because there were actually two bags. And he said, "Would you please tell? Would you all? Or would you tell me if this is authentic? Which is if it's yours, and if you know it concerns you?" So I said, "Yes." And I, said, I suppose you want me to say how much it's worth. And I said, "But there was much more." And he said, "Yes, I have another bag." God. So we had to start seriously to negotiate with oh. my mother's past. And you bought that. Bought and I back. bought my little mum's diaries and brought them back to life, and some stuff from dad and some stuff from yeah. There's an awful lot of stuff in there. Yes, his gold medal vanished. But <laughs> his gold medal vanished before, but that's what he was really looking for, this guy. He said, we want, we want stuff of the Olympics, he said. Have you got more stuff of the Olympics, medals and things like that? <laughs> Gosh, I hadn't known, actually, that, that... I mean, perhaps it was well known that, that Hitler's gold medals weren't actually gold. Well, people, we no. wouldn't really know that, would we? <laughs> well, nobody said it, but I can tell you they weren't. Right? That's because really yeah. tried to sell it off. Yeah. Um, also, the, I mean, the book's a sort of funny mixture of being... You know, you describe such happiness in your childhood that it's quite obviously quite solitary in some ways because it was you were peripatetic, weren't you? And your father was posted; he was in the army. He was posted to different places, and so your sister was your great and only sort of friend. link. Yeah, yeah, yeah chum. Yeah, a great chum. Mm-hmm. And then in the book, she is she in her early twenties when she goes to Argentina yeah. and is abruptly married. Yeah, and then were you in touch with her while she was in Argentina? Because obviously the story that the book circles towards is her her suicide in 67. No, because then you you didn't call people when they went so far away, you know. It was very expensive to call and there was not really any other ways. So so I didn't, we, we, the reason we didn't know about the wedding was it was so, she married so fast because she was terrified this man was going to leave her because that's what he said, if you don't marry me, I'm going to leave you. It was one of those ones, you know, and she was, she was not very well, you know, she was, she was very nervous about that. And so we saw, we found that in the newspaper. Like I found my mother, my mother's souvenirs on on the in a bin bag, and and my sister marrying um, in a newspaper in the Nigel Dempster corridor in the, in the Daily Mail. God, back in the days when Dempster got yeah. socialite Sarah Rampling, which she wasn't at all a socialite, but you know she suddenly became a socialite overnight. Yeah, you describe how I mean she was obviously quite fragile, and you describe how you were sort of her older younger sister. Yeah, I mean. Did you, it, it's not explained in the book exactly why 
I mean, maybe there isn't an explanation you can hit on, but why she killed herself. I mean, was she just had a child? Was she suffering postnatal depression, do you think? Well, you don't know these things. You don't know, you don't know no. so many things. We want to know, we want to know, we want to know. But we can't know, you know. She was, she was obviously very unhappy, yeah. But your father never told your mother? Not That's... not that, um, that she took her life, that she, she, she was supposed to have died of brain hemorrhage, yeah. Because he thought it really, he thought it would kill her. That's what he said to me. So I said, okay, well, I better join the pack because if it's going to kill my mum, and I didn't know, I mean, you can't really take a risk with that. And is this makes that decision. And is this something that you've, you know, is, is sort of writing this book your first sort of real attempt to revisit this and talk about, you know, something that's obviously very defining to you? I mean, you know, you say that Christoph had come in search of a legend but had found a child, that there's a sort of sense in which this is kind of the core of you. But it wasn't. That wasn't the. As I said, I think before, that wasn't. That wasn't the reason to, to to write at all, or not my conscious reason to write. And I think that's very much with writing. We don't actually, in the end, know what we are going to be writing. I would imagine, we follow a story, and then that story takes us over, and the characters in that story become us, if they may be us. If they're not us, they they, they come through us, and they're sort of acting in a way that we possibly would want to act in these situations. And it was very much that with this book. It became only at the end that I realised that it was going to a complete love poem to my sister. It was, and it, as you say, in the beginning of the book, you say you're not sure what the book is. It's yeah. a memoir, it's taken at the end, you, yeah. you, it's a poem. Yeah, <laughs> it comes into a poem. So the editor said, well, um, maybe a few more pages. I said, well, no, I think that's it. That's it. <laughs> and, is... But you never, you, you said but you never went to Argentina, and then there's a lovely... Where your son? Yeah, and then it's always it's as if he did it for me, in effect. And, and it was when I got that um, message from my son. Um, I'm sitting beside Sarah oh, in Argentina. I thought, what? I want. And that was the most extraordinary text message I've ever got in my life. And um, I knew then, a few days later, when I talked to Christoph, I said, and we talked about that, and I said, well, that's it. The, I, the book is now finished. That's that's what actually needed to yeah. to finish because then it became. Sarah's poem. Yes, before your, that, it was. And your nephew is, you know, is there. And my nephew's, my nephew's there. Were you in touch with Sarah's widower over the years? I mean, no, it was sort of. It was all no. That that was it. It all just went into a kind of disappearing act. All that. Not Carlos. I saw him from time to time. Her son. Has it has it writing the book changed how you feel about that sort of narrative of your life? Has it given it a shape? didn't have. I think I've got a shape now, yeah. I I think that seems a good place to end. Thank you very much, Charlotte. (laughs) In this week's book section, we lead with Ian Wilson on a magnificent new life of David Jones, the engraver, soldier, painter and poet. We also have James Walton marvelling at the fact that the American writer Jonathan Lethem seems to have read everything. Alan Judd considers the Royal Navy in Eastern Waters in the Second World War, while Lillian Pizzichini looks at Italian cinema in the mid-20th century. Also, we have John Burnside considering the sad fate of some circus freaks in early 20th century America. And Horatio Clare looks at otters. Well, we have new fiction from Harry Kunzru and a collection of thrillers reviewed by Jeff Noon. <laughs>